Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Centre for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We love hearing and sharing stories about social innovation happening both locally and outside our borders in the Global South. In Season 2, we put the spotlight on the changemakers behind some incredibly innovative approaches and solutions who are creating systemic change. And we're also curious to find out what keeps them going. Join us as we discover how these changemakers are changing the way we're changing the world. Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast with me, your host, Kinsi Khadebe. We're so excited to launch another season of the Just for a Change podcast on social innovation and systems change. With a range of exciting guests lined up, each episode promises to deliver engaging conversation, great insights, and fresh perspectives on some of the deepest and most current issues facing society in 2021. Today, we're talking about change-making collaborations and innovations in health across the Global South. Hello, just for a change listeners, my name is Phyllis Dakujeke. I'm from Ghana. Hola a todos, just for a change listeners. My name is Manuel Espinosa and I'm from Honduras. One initiative that comes to mind is the Inter-Island Health Service Boat Project in Zumaraga, an island municipality in the Philippines composed of 25 coastal villages. The integrated boat referral system connects remote village health centers to the municipality's main birthing facility. A mere two years after initial implementation of this project, Zumaraga improved its initial facility-based deliveries from 20% in 2013 to 90% in 2015. Then there's the sustainable nurse-led franchise model in Rwanda, which was established in partnership with the National Health Insurance Fund. The model has increased access to primary healthcare services for people living in the mountainous rural areas of Rwanda. 72% of Rwanda's population live in rural areas, and their access to healthcare has been fairly limited. With the nurse-led franchise model and intervention of the One Family Health Organization, each nurse gains access to a rent-free community-owned building within his or her residing villages in which to provide care. Nurses have the option of accessing a low-interest loan for infrastructure renovations, furniture, fittings, essential medical equipment, and medicine stock purchases. There are a number of similar social innovations that I would like to talk about. So before I get ahead of myself, in Season 2, we'll be taking a deeper dive by sharing stories from the Global South. I'm joined by Katusha de Villiers, the Health Systems Innovation Lead at the Bertha Center. Some of us may be familiar with the geographic terminology, but Katusha, could you please explain to us very briefly, what do we mean when we're talking about the Global South? When we talk about the Global South, what we're referring to broadly are to the regions of Latin America, Asia, Africa, and Oceania. Often, it is also referred to as the developing world or the periphery and includes countries that usually receive a disproportionately small share of global wealth. These are mostly, though not all, low income and often politically or culturally marginalized. So the use of the phrase Global South marks a shift from a central focus on development or cultural difference toward an emphasis on geopolitical relations of power. Katusha, with that explanation that you just provided, you literally just took me back to my politics 101 <laughs> class. <laughs> I'm sure I did, yes. <laughs> um, but I think what's going to be really amazing about season two is that we're going to go beyond just hearing sort of about entrepreneurial innovations, which I think we hear a lot about when we're thinking about the global South. And I think for me, what's going to be exciting about this episode is that we're looking and focusing in on the health sector. 
Yeah, absolutely. And something that excites me is the role of collaboration and in innovation. I've just been astonished throughout my career at Bertha and working in the sector at just what we can achieve if we co-create and collaborate. Definitely. Collaboration is more than just a mindset. And in today's episode, we'll discover how collaboration is actually innovative in and of itself. Now, Katusha, a great example of collaboration in innovation is the Social Innovation in Health Initiative, also known as SciHi. In 2014, the Bertha Center was privileged to be part of the launch of the significant initiative, along with the Skoll Center for Social Entrepreneurship at Oxford University, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and TDR, the UNICEF, UNDP, World Bank, WHO Special Program for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases. SciHi is neither a formal partnership nor a funding body. Instead, it is a network of passionate individuals and institutions combining their skills and resources in support of key activities to promote social innovation in health. And what's really interesting to note, and something in line with the theme of this podcast, is that at its origin, SciHi is collaborative. This is an extremely innovative approach within the academic space, as collaboration of this extent has not always traditionally been the case. Now, Katusha, since you've been at the Bertha Center, you've been involved in this project since its early stages. Could you tell us a little bit more about what this project has been about for you? Of course, Kense. I absolutely love talking about SciHi. I think it's a, a wonderful um, initiative and it's a wonderful example of what collaboration and innovation looks like. So SciHi, the Social Innovation and Health Initiative, shares a common goal of a advancing social innovation and achieving sustainable development goals, as well as improving the lives of communities in low and middle income countries. The mission of this initiative is to unlock the capacity which resides within the actors of the health system to advance social innovation. So that that capacity within each of us really is, is what they're hoping to unlock. SciHi is a network of partners who collaborate with grassroots innovators, ministries of health, funding agencies, and international agencies to broadly achieve this mission of advancing social innovation. So not only is that really interesting, but I think what has been most interesting, at least from my perspective, and most surprising, is the visible desire of SciHi members to collaborate. People don't only stick around for the launch of their own individual hubs, and there are hubs now across uh, the Global South, Can say There are six hubs across Africa. There are hubs in China and the Philippines, hubs in Latin America, including Honduras and Colombia. And just this morning, I attended the hub launch of SciHi India, and it's going to be located in Bangalore. So people are truly invested in the success of the various initiatives. It's been more than six years since the launch of SciHi, and people are continuously reaching out for collaboration on anything from funding proposals to articles to research and more. There's a real sense that SciHi um, is a living entity beyond just the individual hubs and is more beneficial than just being able to say you belong to this group. Katusha, I think what's so amazing about what you've just said is that it, during the pandemic, in fact, two hubs have also been launched. What's it been like to be involved in a collaborative initiative like this when the pandemic has been ongoing and has been shifting our sense of what we think the health system should look like? 
Oh, that's a, such a great question. I think, firstly, uh, during the pandemic, I, I'm speaking for myself, I felt a real sense of stagnation, like we were all living in limbo a little bit. And to be a part of an organization, well, an initiative, really, that um, was still ongoing and launching and looking for opportunities together helped me personally feel as though the work was continuing. It was a great sense of impetus and motivation. So I think that was that was really wonderful. And the other part of it is that you know, while everything stopped and focused within public health on the pandemic, it was a really good reminder that public health is not just the pandemic over the last two years. Um, public health uh, doesn't doesn't stop. So it was a great reminder that that the work continues both personally and professionally. That's amazing. Katusha, thank you so much for your input on this topic. Oh, thank you, Kente. One would think the sustaining of collaborative efforts is even harder than purely collaborating. But in some instances, collaboration takes on a life of its own, as in the case of Sci-High. It's unusual, and it has all sorts of spillover effects. I'm excited to introduce you to our guests on the show today, all of them Sci-High representatives from the Global South. From the Sci-High Honduras hub, we have Manuel Espinoza, and from Sci-High Latin America, Claudia Nieto. From the Sci-High Ghana Hub, we have Phyllis Dakojeke, and from the Sci-High Philippines Hub, we have Noel Uban. Welcome to the show, everyone. Just a note for our listeners that this podcast is recorded live over four countries, four time zones, and in people's homes, so you may hear a dog or two barking. It's amazing to see the support and community spirit within the various Sci-High communities. We're here to find out more. Welcome to all of you, and thank you for joining us. Claudia, I want to start off with you. Um, and, and just for our listeners' sake, Claudia is actually wearing a Batman t-shirt. I know you can't see her, but I wanted to start off with you because that made me think of the Justice League. And Katusha was just telling us a little bit about the work that you guys do in terms of collaborating, working together, publishing, doing research together as part of the Sci-High Initiative. And I wanted to get a sense from you why it was so exciting for you to join an initiative like this and how it's contributed to your work? Um, well, I became part of the CIHI um, Latin America part of um, like seven or eight months ago. And it was um, very interesting and very motivating to be part of it um, because I was seeing um, many people from around the world working in different initiatives. And um, I, I don't know if I can make the, um, a, a good uh, example out of um, the Justice League uh, uh, people involved. <laughs> As, uh, my, part, my role is, is more like helping all the initiatives uh, get seen around the world. And, uh, but I think... Um, it's a it's a it's a really good um, initiative to be part of. Noel, you're also based and part of this hub, and I'm curious about what made you want to come be part of this, and if you could tell us a little bit more about how the Sci-High Hub was established in the Philippines. Uh, okay, uh, I think it was around 2016 or 2017 when we started. We were invited in a meeting in London, and there. Uh, Katusha was there as well. So members from the original uh, countries 
Pagpi Desai High were there. Uh, and we were introduced to the concept. And uh, we believe in the concept because there were already some innovations that there that was uh, that uh, that were uh, identified in the past years and we think that we can also do that in our own countries and we know that people are doing the same thing innovation is something that is familiar to us it's just not labeled as innovations the buy in was already there during that meeting and it continued thanks noel Manuel, I want to bring you in a little bit into this conversation and maybe to just get a sense of where you're located in the world, what are some of the biggest health challenges that you're seeing coming out of your region and how has being part of this collective helped you, whether it's collaborate with other people, think differently about, you know, approaches? What has been the biggest benefit of being part of an initiative like this? It's been a, a very interesting journey since I joined CHI uh, Hub. Um, I first started as an, an innovator presenting uh, a proposal. And uh, yeah, the, the, the places where I work are one of the most remote areas in, in my country. Um, and it is, it is very interesting, the, the contrast between like the, the city and the, their health problems and the, the rural areas and this remoteness uh, that has led to, to, to have uh, various uh, complications from preventable disease like diarrhea or, or malaria. Uh, and it's, it's so amazing to see that technology gives a great opportunity for these rural areas to, to at least get some somewhat closer to what uh, you know, developed cities could have in terms of um, medical services. So getting into this initiative has allowed me to learn a lot more about what other uh, folks like like you all are doing and thanks for for you know the 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 documentation part of like the bringing the academic part to to the to this uh interventions makes all of us uh gain you know more knowledge and and experience through <clears throat> what other uh, innovators have have gone through. So it is it is uh, from one part very educative, and from in another part is uh, you know the sense of this having this ecosystem uh, that we are all thinking towards the future and how we can make our world more sustainable. Uh, it's it's a it's a great part of it. Thanks, Manuel. And and I suppose what I what really resonates with me about what you're talking about is about the the difference between rural and, and urban health systems and access and how important that is. And and Phyllis, I want to bring you back into the conversation here or introduce you because <laughs> this would be um, the first time I'm asking you to sort of think a little bit about what Manuel was saying around what was necessary and the benefit of being part of a community like this. Coming from Accra in Ghana, what has being part of this collective meant for you and your work? So for those of us, who find ourselves, so you, you mentioned Accra, located within low to middle income countries. Um, so we are burdened with lots of diseases, especially diseases of poverty. Uh, we can also talk about issues regarding maternal and child health care. And even in some cases, the healthcare systems themselves are deficient. Uh, what we have realized over the years, uh, and I keep reflecting, asking myself, 
when I consider the Millennium Development Goals, for instance, and our inability to attain a lot of the health-related goals, uh, then we are reminded that if we do things the ordinary way, it's going to be difficult for us to achieve the health targets that we have. So in a country wherein we have tuberculosis as an issue, malaria as an issue, maternal and child health care as an issue, doing things the ordinary way, pushing interventions, using just the ordinary health system structures becomes very difficult. And CHI gave us the opportunity for us to, and the interesting bit is that once you start getting into the innovation, you realize that there are already people on the ground who are passionate and are doing things to push interventions into the hands of uh, marginalized populations. And CHI just gives you the platform to identify such people, to create, to create some visibility for them, to support them. And I, I, I think that uh, that is exactly what we, we are learning from each other. And we are also helping create a platform for, of visibility. I want to stay with you um, for a second, especially around what you were saying around people on the ground already doing this kind of work, because I think for us, what's really important about what we're doing for this season on this podcast is really highlighting stories from the global south. And I, I wonder if maybe you have any examples for us of innovations in Ghana or West Africa in the health space that you think are really making transformational change. So we had the opportunity to create more publicity for some of the innovations that we identified through the crowdsourcing uh, early parts this year. And then just to share some examples, for instance, there is somebody working in the area of TB, uh, TB amongst pregnant women, and giving the indication that uh, non-compliance or non-adherence is a big issue. And once it's with pregnant women, then we have complications that could give us like a rippling effect. So they are using technology, like just small technologies, text messages to reach out to pregnant women and tell them that it is time for you to take your medications. And it just spirals and people are taking it. And culturally, uh, although there are issues of stigma, they've tried to build more like a body system uh, using husbands, using other kind of social networks to reach out to these women for them to be taking their medications. That is one. And the other one was uh, in the area of mental health. And mental health, again, is one area that there is so much stigmatization. Nobody wants to acknowledge the fact that they are having issues uh, dealing with psychological challenges in their life. So what they do with this is, again, using technology to reach out to people on the ground. So it's just an app that you go in there, you give them their, your name and whatever uh, challenge that you are facing, and then they try to map you up, uh, trying to see wherever you are located on the ground, and they identify a counselor or a psychological clinical person close to you, and then they'll match you so that you reach uh, health services. As I mentioned earlier on, you would realize that people are already taking innovative approaches on the ground, doing these things. And if we had not been part of CHI, it would have been difficult for us to even understand what people are doing on the ground. It's just giving us the opportunity to interact with them, to know more about what is happening. I think what's great about what you're saying, Phyllis, is it's making me think of a conversation that I was having a while ago around how technology and apps in particular have allowed a lot of countries in Africa to leapfrog a lot of the sort of institutional or even bureaucratic 
challenges to implementing some really great health innovations. And this takes me back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, Manuel, around technology and innovation and the role that it plays in bringing people together. Are there any examples from Honduras or, or in other spaces where you've worked that you think would be great to highlight around some of the collaborative efforts that SciHi is trying to, to showcase? Yes. Uh, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, it is a very interesting what I was just saying that a lot of the people that we served are new internet users. Probably they, the first touch with internet was through a smartphone and, and they've never or probably will never see a computer like uh, other, other people that grew up uh, used to uh, technology. So it is very important to understand this context because this new uh, internet users uh, also have the opportunity to engage into a wider wider networks of, of people that can provide uh, health services. So it's a very interesting one, one particular project in which we work with uh, that was focused around tele, telemedicine services in these rural areas that it sometimes it takes uh, days to get to a clinic and from there uh, you have to buy a flight ticket and, and, and it's a, probably more than the income that you generate in one year. So using this opportunity that uh, there's internet connectivity, there's use of smartphones, how can we connect them with services to at least reduce the burden of uh, the, the necessity of trans, uh, transportation uh, away to going to the city. So yeah, this project in particular what was interested in, in giving this. And thanks to that, they were able to connect with a, um, a specialty hospital. It was a training hospital. So now resident students have uh, allocated some hours for giving telemedicine services to these communities because they know that uh, at some point, all these cases will either die in their communities or, or they will have to come with very serious complications that could be totally avoided. So yeah, that's thanks to, to you know, like thinking in a different way, like you just said, uh, it, th there's always a bureaucracy in the health systems because when it's, it's not easy to move forward from, uh, you know, not using any technology to, to try to start uh, the conversation in these in this platforms. So, so yeah, it's it's been very interesting, and in, in, yeah, CHI has also made a great work, like Claudia said, to to visualize these uh, strategies. And thanks to that, this has uh, spread uh, throughout the country. So we started with a, a few small clinics, and now it's it's more than fifty clinics that are are using this platform. So we know that innovation and technology, it doesn't only end with apps or what we're able to do online. So I'd be very interested to find out from Noel, what other kinds of innovations should we showcase and that we can learn from innovations like SciHi? Okay, in the first year that we started with the Social Innovation in Health Philippines Hub, we started with an innovation call. It's a nationwide call for innovations and we had several submissions. And the winner for that one, we have three winners. One of them is on health insurance. It's not coming up with an insurance package, but having people or this, uh, these tuk-tuk drivers or tricycle drivers in our uh, setting, they are organized, but they have to go to the insurance office to have their uh, 
contributions so that they are covered. And do you know how much they earn every day with Tuk Tuk and just for them to go there? So the health insurance uh, officer decided na, let's do it this way. Let's have one person to go and to collect and to have it so that it's a monthly or a weekly thing that you collect from all the all your uh, members of the organization of Tuk Tuk drivers. Not everyone of you needs to be there, but at least when you do this uh, on your own and it, on a regular basis, you're all covered. It was very much appreciated because it's really hard to give the full uh, amount in, on a monthly or even in a yearly basis. And it makes them uh, uh, be able to access the uh, benefits of the health insurance for their wives and for their kids. Sure, such important work. Collaboration is not always a walk in the park. People have different views, opinions, backgrounds, and education. We asked a few people what makes collaboration difficult. Here's what they had to say. And uh, I think from our point of view, uh, the answer has two parts. One sits uh, within the human side, and I think that's the issue of trust. I think this is uh, a, a problem across all spaces, not only the social purpose space, but I think the social purpose space specifically because uh, there's a lot of competition, not only for beneficiaries if organizations may be uh, implementing similar or, or looking to address similar outcomes, but also on the back end of that is also a lot of trust around funding, right? So there's a lot of competition within the space, which makes it very hard for people to take the conversation forward past just collaborating is good. Uh, and then secondly, I think it speaks to the practical elements of things. I think while a lot of people are interested in and, and would like to, 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 to form partnerships and collaborations, sometimes after the initial engagement, that's when collaborations fall short because there's no uh, clear understanding of the roles and responsibilities. There's no work plan around this. So uh, a related point is that especially if you are in the civil society sector, but also sometimes in business, let's say, or in government, if you collaborate with organizations across those divides and other sectors, there could be risks associated with your uh, independence or your reputation for independence, right? So I think um, there there is a lot. Many people would perceive the power, see that there's a power differential between, let's say, big business and an NGO. And if there's there's a sense that an NGO is partnering with a large corporation, they might be co-opted, right? They might lose their ability to criticize that 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 corporation. Uh, committing to a, a collaborative or negotiation around collaboration does not prevent you from maintaining a, a potentially critical perspective. And we've called this critical cooperation. The reason why we wanted to play some of these voice notes for you is just maybe to start digging a little bit deeper into why it's so difficult to actually get into collaborative projects or to sustain them over a long period of time. And I think for us, I'm interested specifically to find out more about how collaboration has happened within the Sci-High network and the role that it has played in creating systems of innovation and lasting impact. And Phyllis, I want to start off with you. Um, being based in Ghana, why do you think being part of this collaborative organization has been so successful considering that there are other countries that maybe 
previously in the past you could have engaged with and collaborated with? What has made this different? So just to respond to that, I would just want to reflect a little bit. So we've been part of Sci-Hi for just a little over a year. Uh, We were invited in the year 2019. And so we've had a successful uh, round of just one year and we are about to go into the next year. But if I can speak to that, just that small uh, experience and also experiences working with uh, all these collaborators in CHI from different angles, not necessarily uh, with CHI, I would say that uh, you can often get your positive sustained changes uh, when you totally depend on interactions between your innovators and also the environment uh, wherein the individuals are found. And a lot of the times this is demonstrated through commitments that you see, uh, the investments that different people commit to this. For instance, so with CHI, you usually would see three levels of collaborations and how they are sustained. So for instance, the relationship that you would have with CDR uh, as the mother um, institution or organization uh, that is initiating this process. And also for us in Ghana, we have a very unique relationship with Uganda uh, as a mother hub that invited us to be part of this. That collaboration is usually sustained through uh, joint projects that we, we, we agree to uh, proceed or we agree to pursue uh, for the different countries. And that at the third level is the interactions that we have as a CI hub with the innovators on the ground. And that same is also sustained through expectations, the management of expectations, I would say. Usually when you identify these innovators on the ground, they are already working. But once you go in there, sometimes there are expectations as to whether you are going to put in more money for whatever they are doing but you are able to manage it when you are transparent and you tell them exactly what your interests are at this stage. So for instance, for us at the stage one, our main interest was to create visibility and to publicize what they were doing. So I believe that for all these three levels, your ability to manage the expectations, your ability to keep common goals going and objectives going, and that is what can lead you to have positive and sustained collaborations. Thanks, Phyllis. I think there's two things that I'm taking away that are really critical from what you're saying. So the first was around the funding and resources and managing expectations. And then the other one that you mentioned a little bit earlier was around sort of the regional engagement that you have. And I want to bring you in, Noel, a little bit and maybe for you to expand for us being based where you are. How important has sort of making regional connections been to collaborating and working with other people in this network? Okay, uh... For us, the collaboration started in 2017 with the government. But I, it was mainly because I've been working with the government and the academy, with, with the Ministry of Health and the Department of Science and Technology. So it wasn't uh, difficult uh, selling the concept of, uh, of social innovation in health. And I can always say, I usually equate it to the best practices from years ago. There was this uh, era where in Everybody was talking about best practices, and, and those best practices are just the innovations that we have labeled it right now. So it's not a hard sell. And when we did our first call, and we involved the government as well, and our partners in the academy, because I'm based in, in the academy, so the hub was based in the academy. So there was really, uh, the buy-in is there to the point that the... The call now 
for the biannual call for social innovations in health in the country is now just being us, the CHI Hub, as the Secretariat, but the award-giving body is now the Department of Health and the Department of Science and Technology with seed support for the innovators and the innovations that will be awarded, amount of about uh, 4 million peso for each one. So this year we have identified three uh, innovations and they will be now given uh, the award for that one to be able to document the results of their innovations with that amount of money. As far as the regional, because I am the CHI Secretariat uh, lead, we also do that with all our member uh, hubs in the different regions. When I was talking to a friend in WHO and they're asking me, can you develop a community engagement learning package? I said, why not? Let's try it. And I have all the hubs with me, and I, went, I invited the hubs with me to be part of it. So we're doing it, and we're on the, our final stage of pilot testing it. It included the hubs in Latin America, in Africa, and, and in Asia. So really, the network is doing, uh, the CHI hubs are doing our work in collaborating locally and at the regional and at the global level. So that's, I think, one thing that we can be proud of. I think that's amazing. And when you speak about that, Noel, you make me think about something really important that Katusha mentioned to us, you know, in prepping for this episode is how the work that you're doing, whether it's at the regional or, you know, local or international level, is that it's really driven by the funder who really wants all the different parties to actually collaborate. And that's something that's very rare when you think about the kinds of relationships that a lot of us, whether you're a researcher, you know, looking for a grant or you're an awardee that you're looking for when you're getting funding. And I'm curious about what the experience has been like to be part of something where the the, the switch is kind of like flipped, where you're not necessarily trying to hunt for funding to do the collaborative work, um, but that's actually available to you and it's there. And Manuel, I'd like to maybe get your take on this, on what it's what that experience has been like for you and the work that you do, where it's actually the funder who's driving this idea of collaboration and impact rather than the other way around. Uh, yeah, this is a very interesting topic because it's something that we leave every day. Um, I could give you a, a personal example um, with the organization I work right now. We're, we're working in malaria. So... Um, the malaria was uh, a problem that was concentrated in these remote areas. And the way we, we helped the government and uh, uh, talking about this, like Noel's topic, is that in this aspect of working with, uh, with institutions like governments, it's not always easy to, to get uh, this collaboration to be funded by the government. Uh, so there's where, where it's important to documentate and see this all these um, this research that comes uh, forward to support what you know like these innovations that often are small uh, how they can scale up. Um, so being able to provide uh, the evidence to support these innovations is crucial for their you know long term sustainability. Um, and and engage with people within these organizations to to you know have the trust that, that they need to to see if they can 
uh, funded domestically or adopted as their own. So that's that's one of the key elements that 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 we need to address in this collaboration part. Is um, yeah, first of all, give the opportunity to small projects to to pilot ideas, uh, because within the governments, you know, there, there's always this uh, or governments, and I talk about big organization, not not only governments, but all uh, in the academic world, there's also big organizations. It's always this immunological system that is rejecting innovation. So the way we can, uh, you know, overcome these challenges is by uh, helping these small projects to documentate, to provide the, the, the evidence that they need to support them. I think what's what's really interesting about what you're saying, Manuel, that isn't um, unique to to your part of the world, but I suppose internationally and globally, is just how challenging sometimes it is to get innovation started at universities, which is ironic when you think about what universities were established to do. So I think it's it's so interesting that I'm seeing I'm seeing those parallels. And and Claudia, I want to bring you in here a little bit because you were talking about research a little bit earlier, and I wanted to get a sense from you, what has been the one surprising piece or element of being part of this work that has come out for you. I think for me, listening to each of you speak about the kinds of work that you're involved in, the kinds of collaborations that you're pushing for, and the way that you're working with different parties is absolutely critical. But what has been the one thing that is, you didn't expect when you joined the Sci-High Network but has maybe surprised you and is something that would be beneficial for those of us who are interested in learning and understanding a little bit more about collaboration? Um, uh, I like very that question very much because uh, I was surprised in two ways that I didn't expect when I first joined at the CIHI Honduras Hub, uh, and I uh, I was beginning to meet all these people from different parts of the world, and I saw two things that um, got my attention, and it was one not only health professionals are involved in these initiatives, it's regular people, it's common people, and um, who work side by side with health professionals to provide uh, better um, ways for their communities and their, um, and their families to have access to health services. And, and they find ways to collaborate uh, not thinking about what uh, what kind of uh, maybe academic studies do I have or do I not have. Uh, we work together and we provide these solutions and we find ways to collaborate. And the other thing that got my, my attention was how um, this network looks for ways to reach uh, others and to, to make this initiative more resourceful when you don't have maybe the funding? How do, how do you find solutions, not only for your communities, but to, to keep this initiative running and going? And I see this when we get to the meetings with the CIHI Global Network. I hear them and I see how they are working to make this initiative keep going and going. 
I think what inspires me when I hear you speak <laughs> is just thinking about what the future may hold. And I think maybe that's sort of a good place to bring our conversation to, to an end for this afternoon is maybe just to get a quick, quick reflection from the four of you around what you hope this work will do in the future, or maybe even what you hope to achieve. And maybe if very briefly, if you guys could give us that response as we wrap up today's episode. And I'll start with Noel. Uh, okay. Uh, speaking for the CHI network first, I really would want the net the CHI network to uh, expand and to grow. And that's why we are doing our best also to uh, look for partners among the countries within our regions. And we have started it so far. So we're all now uh, like started with uh, with Colombia. Now it's with Honduras. We started with the Philippines. Now we have partners in Indonesia and in India. So really, the network is growing, and we try to be inclusive in terms of our work. That's why we have meetings every month, and we share what we have so far in terms of our achievements and possible collaboration. So there are, I think, more collaborations that will happen in the future. And for the country, uh, we hope to continue that the ownership of the CHI calls for innovations continue every two years because it's been signed by the government, so they have to uh, give their money for that and... Uh, <laughs> and really uh, do their work. Amazing. Thanks, Noel. Phyllis, what are you looking forward to? So just in addition, I think that this morning I had the opportunity to uh, witness the launching for India, and there were so many examples that they, they shared. And, and in that regard, the first thing I, I hope that for all the things that we are learning, there would be more like an interregional scale-up for some of these innovations uh, that we are identifying. And secondly, as a country that is like Ghana, we are bothered by a lot of uh, Francophones. I'm hoping that moving forward, we'll be able to break that barrier uh, to be able to work with French speaking countries as well. And again, for me in research uh, in the area of funds uh, and all that, I hope that there would be a time in the, in the near future that social innovation in health would be one of the key thematic areas for big calls uh, that we would have the opportunity to push this forward uh, beyond the barriers and also the, the, the funding uh, exposures that we have currently. Thank you, Phyllis. Claudia, any last word? I would say that um, we're looking forward to, to keep innovations, uh, keep seeing around the world and in, in this side of the world, in, in Latin America. And uh, as uh, to keep the Honduras hub, well, strengthened in the next years. Amazing. And Manuel, we'll end off with you. What are you looking forward to? Well, um, history has shown us that the progress continues uh, despite good times or bad times, like the past influenza pandemic, World War II, and hurricanes, tsunamis, and all of that uh, was bad, but in this period of time, like this past century, we we had the life expectancy improved by 100%. Uh, child mortality has dropped by 90%. Uh, and all these happens, and sometimes within the worst conditions. So 
uh, it is important to to support uh, innova uh, innovation because uh, that's the progress that is happening right now. We just have to look for it and visualize it so it can spread. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our guests today. It was such a privilege to, to talk to you about your work and what you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us from all over the world and sharing your stories about what it takes to be a change maker in the global south. Working together in a pluralistic environment is often a difficult task. It requires negotiation, compromise, and sometimes managing multiple variables at once in an attempt to achieve a specific goal. The Sci-Hide Network has, however, proved that collaboration and innovation is not only extremely effective, but it also contributes to longevity. Collaboration is a mindset, and the changemakers who want to make a real difference need to embrace such a mindset. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of the Just For A Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're curious about what innovation is happening in Africa and the Global South and who the movers and shakers are behind these initiatives, then make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes.